The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. August 12, 2014, at a luxurious resort in Bali, a couple loaded a suitcase into the back of a waiting taxi. They told the driver they'd be back shortly. They just needed to finish checking out. But after waiting two whole hours, they never returned. When hotel security popped the trunk of the cab to remove the suitcase, they noticed something smeared on the abandoned luggage. What appeared to be blood. When it was later opened by police, a shocking and gruesome discovery would be revealed. Join me now as we take a look into a family vacation meant to be a trip of a lifetime. A trip to a beautiful destination, a luxurious resort. Most of all, a trip meant to mend the sacred bond between a mother and daughter. You'll hear how a family vacation turned into a horrific tragedy, with many being left to wonder what was fact from fiction. Bali, one of the most sought after tourist destinations on the planet, especially for anyone eager to soak up the sunshine. Every year, Bali welcomes millions of foreigners, mostly during its high seasons in July and August, and the summer of 2014 was no different. The tropical Indonesian island had been bustling with tourists, including Sheila von Weiss-Mack and her 18-year-old daughter, Heather. On August 4th, they checked into the rooms at the St. Regis after taking a business class flight from Chicago, the beginning of what was supposed to be a much-needed getaway. But this wasn't just any family vacation. The trip was meant to be a reset, a fresh start between a mother and daughter whose relationship had reached a complete breaking point. Missing from the picture was Sheila's husband and Heather's father, James Mack, who passed away eight years earlier when Heather was only 10. An incredible loss that affected them both deeply in different ways. When Sheila first met James, there'd been an instant connection. Although Sheila had been used to being around fascinating and wonderful people throughout her life, James was special. 22 years her senior, by the time they met, James was already a legend in the Chicago music scene, accomplishing pretty much everything. James not only wrote music, he produced it, arranged it, composed it, and was an expert musician. Finding massive success, arranging horn sections for pop, R&B, and soul artists for major record labels like Brunswick, Chess, Capital and Columbia, as well as collaborating with many notable musicians and producing over 60 albums. But even with all his commercial success, James Hart was in teaching music, and for 30 years, he served at Washington College in Chicago 
as chairman of the Department of Music. When Sheila met James, their very different lives and worlds seemed to complement each other. Sheila had always had an insatiable curiosity for the world and had lived a fascinating life herself. After graduating from Simmons College in Boston in political science, she went on to meet prominent figures in the world of politics and the arts, becoming a researcher for the powerful U.S. Senator Ted Kennedy, affording her the privilege of meeting and rubbing shoulders with other political figures as well, even pouring tea once or twice for Rose Kennedy, JFK's mother. Later, Sheila even got the opportunity to work on marketing projects with Jacqueline Onassis, the former First Lady. Eventually, Sheila decided to pursue her PhD at the University of Chicago, where she first met and fell in love with James L. Mack. In 1995, at 43 years old, Sheila gave birth to her first and only child, a baby girl they named Heather, and the couple couldn't have been happier, doting on their daughter as the princess they felt she was. A year after she was born, James and Sheila officially tied the knot and together raised their daughter in their $1.5 million Italian Renaissance-style home in Oak Park, an upscale suburb nine miles west of Chicago. Growing up, Heather's life was nothing short of privileged, going on yearly vacations, regularly hosting parties at their mansion. But after only about five years of marriage, in 2000, James was diagnosed with colon cancer eventually causing him to become wheelchair-bound. But that wasn't about to stop the family from traveling together. In the summer of 2001, the family took a Royal Caribbean cruise to the Mediterranean, a trip that would ultimately end in tragedy. While on vacation, James cut his foot by the ship's swimming pool, and although he'd been treated by a doctor on board, the treatment left him partially paralyzed ending up with the Max suing Royal Caribbean for negligence and medical malpractice. Eventually, the family would receive nearly a million dollars from Royal Caribbean. But for James, it would be a lawsuit he wouldn't live long enough to see resolved. In 2006, during what was supposed to be another fun family vacation in Greece, James suffered a blood clot in his lung and died in their hotel room. Heather was just 10 at the time and was devastated by her father's sudden passing at the age of 76. Perhaps knowing his time was near, just a few days before his death, James had written a new will, leaving a trust fund for his daughter worth over a million dollars. Neither his wife or five other children from previous marriages would receive a dime. But instead of canceling the rest of their vacation, Sheila placed her husband's body in a morgue and carried on attempting to enjoy the Greek holiday with her daughter, almost as if nothing had happened. But something had happened. Perhaps it was Sheila's attempt to minimize the amount of trauma Heather was sure to experience from her father's sudden passing. Instead, it seemed to have the opposite effect. When the Max returned to Chicago, Heather began acting out, and not just in the way. Many preteen girls tend to rebel against their mothers. Heather took it to the extreme. Over the next several years, Oak Park police would be called to the Mac residence over 80 times, 
responding to allegations of Heather stealing from her mother, physically assaulting her, and running away. In one instance, police were called following an argument where Heather punched Sheila in an already broken ankle. They suggested hospitalizing Heather, but Sheila didn't want that for her daughter. As out of control as she was, Sheila clung to the hope things would improve. She knew Heather was having a hard time processing her father's death. Perhaps soon, she'd stop acting out and come to her senses. When Heather started high school, things didn't seem to simmer down, with police being called countless more times that year. Many of the calls were theft-related or domestic disputes, where Heather would violently attack her mom after being told to go to bed, turn off her computer, or was disciplined for skipping school. Again, Sheila would refuse to press any charges. In February 2011, Heather shoved her mother to the floor, breaking her arm, and then pulling out the cords of the phone to prevent Sheila from calling 911. This time, Heather was finally arrested. In April of 2011, Heather broke a window pane and bit her mother during an argument, but it hadn't been the first time she'd bitten Sheila. In fact, the responding officer noticed multiple bruises on Sheila's arm, some old, some new, all from Heather. She told police her daughter once threatened her by telling her she'd stop leaving bruises and start hitting her in the head. That night, Heather was taken into custody. In December 2011, Heather was arrested again after assaulting her mom, this time represented by an attorney hired for her by Sheila. Even so, Heather was still found guilty of battery. Heather was then placed on a year of court supervision and forced to attend mandatory counseling for anger management as part of a violence prevention program. She stayed in two separate community-based facilities aimed at providing education, life skills, and counseling for troubled youth, which she successfully completed. But they seemed to have little effect. In November 2012, the now 17-year-old Heather bit her mom again, this time on the wrist, during yet another vicious argument. Again, Sheila called police, but once again, she didn't want her daughter arrested. As much as Heather was wearing her down, making her feel completely at a loss, she was still her one and only child. Perhaps there's just no better way to say it. Sheila Mack was in a violently abusive relationship. It just so happened her abuser was her daughter. And like far too many victims of perpetual domestic violence, Sheila just kept holding out hope that one day, somehow, her abuser's behavior would change, that something would happen and the problem would just simply disappear. Unfortunately, it rarely works out that way. It certainly didn't with Heather. During Heather's senior year of high school, she fell in love with a young man her mother didn't approve of and dropped out of school. Any of Sheila's attempts to curtail her daughter's relationship only made things worse. 21-year-old Tommy Schaefer was a bit of a complex character. At an early age, his father abandoned the family, leaving him alone with his mother, who often struggled financially to provide for her son. 
But despite what Tommy was going through at home, he managed to form a friend group in middle school he remained close with throughout high school. Friends who came from stable homes, completely different from the type of upbringing he'd experienced. Starting at age 14, Tommy had some run-ins with the law, arrested in 2012 for assault, and sentenced to court supervision. He also had a few busts for drug-related offenses, but managed to evade charges every time. He was known as someone who'd stretched the truth, telling tales, especially if there was a girl he wanted to impress, telling one woman he'd dated for two years. He had a heart condition and was going to die. A tale that wasn't true. In April 2014, Rachel Smiley, a girl Tommy had previously dated, was killed in a car accident. News that hit Tommy pretty hard. To honor her, Tommy wrote a song about her and sold it on iTunes, donating the proceeds to charity. However, while Tommy's Facebook profile openly plastered pictures of Rachel Smiley, there wasn't a single sign of another young woman who'd recently entered the picture, Heather Mack. Heather and Tommy had been casual friends before they began dating around the same time Rachel had died. There was just one problem. Heather's mother, Sheila, didn't approve of the budding romance. She didn't believe Tommy was a good influence on her daughter. Even more, he was 21 years old, a whole three years older than Heather. In an attempt to separate them, Sheila ended up selling their Oak Park mansion and moved them into a condo in the ritzy Gold Coast of Chicago. But her attempts to keep the couple apart was fruitless, with Heather and Tommy continuing to see each other. And so the heated arguments between Sheila and Heather carried on, with Heather continuing to run away from home, prompting Sheila to file missing persons reports. It never seemed to end for Sheila, and on July 23rd, while looking over bank statements, Sheila noticed charges on her credit card that seemed suspicious. Charges from the Conrad Hotel, a luxury hotel on Chicago's magnificent mile. Unbeknownst to Sheila, that's where Heather, Tommy, and some friends have been drinking, partying and ordering over $1,000 worth of services, all on Sheila's dime. After calling police, the teens were arrested. Tommy was charged with disorderly conduct. However, Sheila, yet again, refused to press any charges against her daughter, who was quickly released from custody without even a slap on the wrist. By this point, Heather was 18 years old and could have simply moved out, been with Tommy, and freed herself from what she perceived to be her mother's suffocating control over her life. But she didn't, which leads to the question, why? On the other hand, Sheila was also well within her rights to let her daughter go off and live her own life, making decisions of her own. However, in her case, she desperately wanted to reestablish a healthy relationship with her daughter. But by the summer of 2014, mother and daughter were at a complete impasse, a position it seemed neither of them could possibly get what they wanted. Something needed to change, and so Sheila came up with a plan. Take Heather on a mother and daughter vacation to the island paradise of Bali, Indonesia an opportunity that would provide them with a chance to make a fresh start 
to spend some quality time together and come out the other side with a renewed mutual respect for each other. It would also have the added benefit of getting Heather away from Tommy for 10 days. Maybe then she'd realize she was getting herself mixed up with the wrong crowd. But at the same time Sheila was planning their trip, Heather was also busy making plans of her own. Just before leaving on their Bali vacation, Heather informed Sheila she was pregnant and Tommy was the father. News Heather hadn't told her mom for the first time, or even the second time. Both times, Sheila had forced her to terminate the pregnancies. And now, Sheila was seeking to obtain a power of attorney to force a third abortion on her daughter, who was now a legal adult. But Heather refused. Sheila hadn't been entirely convinced her daughter was actually pregnant, so took her to the doctors for blood work to make sure. But before they could get the results, Sheila and Heather took off for Bali. During their vacation, Sheila spared no expense, flying them first class and booking their stay at the St. Regis Hotel, one of the most expensive and exclusive resorts in all of Bali. After arriving on August 4th, it seemed like mother and daughter were having a good time together. That's until Sheila badly injured her ankle after a fall about seven days into their trip. The next day, she stayed in bed, half-dazed on painkillers, where she stayed mostly laid up in her room until their very last day on the island. And then, in the early hours of August 12th, around 3.30 a.m., Sheila rushed to the quiet resort lobby in a panic, frantically alerting hotel staff her daughter was missing. To her incredible surprise, the staff informed her that another room had been recently booked at the hotel using her credit card. The name on the reservation was Tommy Schaefer, checking in just three hours earlier. While still trying to comprehend what hotel staff were telling her, suddenly Heather and Tommy appeared in the lobby, returning from a walk on the beach together. And just like that, what was supposed to be a family vacation to repair a mother and daughter bond was ruined and Sheila was absolutely livid. Immediately, a huge argument erupted right there in the lobby, witnessed by a number of staff, with Sheila telling Heather that as soon as they returned to Chicago, she'd be pursuing credit card fraud charges. As the frenzied family fight began to simmer down, Sheila took Heather back to their room to finish the uncomfortable conversation. Tommy returned to his own room by himself. Just before noon that same day, Heather and Tommy left the hotel together, and it was obvious they were leaving for good because they were carrying all their luggage with them, a large silver suitcase along with three smaller bags. As they walked through the hotel lobby, a receptionist stopped them and asked about their hefty bill, but Heather assured them her mother would be taking care of it when she checked out later. And so Heather and Tommy exited the St. Regis and loaded a suitcase into the back of a waiting taxi. They then told the driver they'd be right back. They just needed to check out. Strangely, they took their three smaller suitcases back into the hotel with them and disappeared inside. 
The cab driver then waited and waited, and finally, after two whole hours, when they still hadn't returned, he alerted hotel security about the abandoned suitcase. But when they popped the taxi's trunk and looked inside, they saw something peculiar on the outside of the silver suitcase, red stains that looked like blood. Immediately, the driver was advised to bring the suitcase to the police station. And when police opened the luggage, they made a shocking discovery. The half-naked body of a blonde middle-aged woman stuffed inside who'd been badly beaten. But who was she? And how'd she end up in the suitcase? Police knew in order to get these answers, they first needed to track down the couple who brought the suitcase to the taxi in the first place. After ditching the suitcase in the taxi, Heather and Tommy re-entered the St. Regis Hotel, where they returned to reception and asked to access Sheila's safety deposit box containing their passports and jewelry. But they were denied because Sheila had left specific instructions that only she could open it. Their plan had been to grab their passports and leave the country. It was now time for an alternate plan. After slipping out the back door of the St. Regis, Heather and Tommy headed to the airport and approached immigration officers, claiming they'd lost their passports and needed new ones. Even if it were true, it was a problem that couldn't be solved at the airport, and they were told they needed to make their way to the U.S. Embassy. Instead, the couple hailed down another taxi and headed to the nearby four-star Rosada Bali Resort. What Heather and Tommy didn't know at the time was that while they arrived and settled in, Police were already on the hunt for them and had already sent out an alert to all hotels and taxis to be on the lookout for them. By 8.30 a.m. the following morning, police had descended on the Rosada Bali Resort, raiding Heather and Tommy's room, where they found them sound asleep. Immediately, they were arrested. Heather and Tommy had already come up with a story they planned to tell police if they should get caught. Separately, they each told authorities Sheila was killed by an armed gang that had held them all captive, but miraculously Heather and Tommy managed to escape. However, there was zero CCTV security footage to corroborate their claim. What they did find in St. Regis surveillance footage was the three of them arguing in the hotel lobby in the early morning hours of August 12th, and then Tommy entering Sheila's room hours later hiding a large object under a shirt around 8 a.m. Inside Sheila and Heather's room, police found bloody fingerprints on a heavy fruit bowl, which turned out to be the item Tommy had stuffed under a shirt as he entered the room. Sheila's blood was also found on both Heather and Tommy's clothing. It was clear the evidence against them was damning. 8 months later, both Heather and Tommy would be put on trial in Indonesia for the murder of Sheila Mack, a country where if convicted, could mean facing a death penalty by a firing squad. At her trial, Heather's testimony was that Sheila had known Tommy was going to be joining them on their vacation. In fact, she claimed her mother gave her permission to use her credit card and to book his flight in hotel room. But this claim was quickly countered by hotel staff, who testified witnessing the shock and anger on Sheila's face 
after finding out her credit card had been used without her knowledge. During the trial, Tommy confessed to murdering Sheila, but said it was all done in an act of self-defense. In his testimony, he stated that around 8 a.m., Heather had texted him saying she was afraid and told him to bring something heavy to the room. He claimed that at that point, he believed Heather, the mother of his future child, was in danger, so brought the fruit bowl to room 317. According to Tommy, the fateful argument began when Sheila flew into a rage, learning news for the first time Heather was pregnant. Evidence would later show, in an email Sheila sent to a friend two weeks before the trip, she'd been told by her daughter she was eight weeks pregnant. The only thing she hadn't known for sure was whether or not Heather was telling the truth or not. As it turned out, she was, and the baby was Tommy's. And so as Heather waited those eight months leading up to her trial, she got closer and closer to her due date, which ended up occurring during the actual trial itself, with Heather giving birth to a healthy baby girl she named Stella. And here was Heather now, a mother herself, on trial for her own mother's murder. Heather and Tommy would both testify. Sheila went looking for a knife during their argument and threatened to kill their unborn child. Heather also claimed her mother called her a prostitute and called Tommy a racial slur, then grabbed him by the neck and started strangling him. This is the moment Tommy stated he defended himself by hitting Sheila repeatedly in the head with the handle of the fruit bowl. And while all this was going on, Heather claimed she hid in the bathroom, only to find Tommy trying to resuscitate Sheila when she emerged. But when that failed, they apparently tried calling police and the U.S. consulate. That's when they said they panicked and decided to wrap her body in a bedsheet and fold her into the large silver suitcase in order to transport her to the U.S. consulate? It was quite a story nobody believed because the mountain of evidence proved Sheila's murder had been a full-blown conspiracy hatched well before any of them ever set foot in Bali. This wasn't self-defense or a crime of passion in the heat of an argument. This was cold-blooded, calculated, premeditated murder. Remember earlier when we said Heather had been making plans of her own? Well, her plans weren't just how to get away from her mother. They were how to get rid of her for good. Months before their trip to Bali, the plotting began with Heather asking Tommy if he knew anyone that would be willing to kill her mother for $50,000. Tommy mentioned his cousin, Ryan Bibbs. How she intended on getting the $50,000 was from the $1.5 million trust fund that had been set up in her name. But the trust was under Sheila's full control until Heather's 30th birthday, which at 18 years old seemed like a lifetime away. However, if Sheila were to die, then the money would go straight to Heather and there'd be no more waiting. But Ryan Bibbs didn't know any hitman for hire. Instead, he offered advice on how to carry out the murder themselves in exchange for some money for himself. They decided their best opportunity to murder Sheila and get away with it was on the trip to Bali. 
Heather knew she'd be able to figure out a way to secretly fly Tommy there without her mother finding out, at least before it was too late. And that's exactly what she did. When Sheila hurt her ankle and was in a haze of painkillers, that's when Heather stole her credit card and purchased a $12,000 first-class ticket for Tommy to fly in from Chicago. Then after the volatile argument broke out in the hotel lobby between Sheila, Tommy, and Heather, Tommy, Heather, and Ryan Bibbs continued exchanging texts, plotting the best possible way to end Sheila's life. The ideas ranged from smothering her with a pillow to having her overdose on pills to make it look like a suicide. To signal the start of the attack, Heather and Tommy agreed on a code word, simply the word, hi. And at around 8 a.m., Heather texted Tommy, there's no better time to say hi, is there? This was the signal for Tommy to make his way to Sheila and Heather's hotel room, which is exactly when he entered the room, concealing the heavy fruit bowl. Whatever truly went down the moment Tommy entered room 317 may forever remain a mystery. What we do know to be the horrific truth is that Tommy used the metal handle of the bowl to bludgeon Sheila several times over her head. An autopsy would reveal Sheila suffered fractures to her head, neck, and face. Her cause of death was suffocation due to her broken nose. The autopsy also determined Sheila had been standing when the attack took place with defense wounds to her forearms and hands. That meant Sheila was wide awake through the entire ordeal. Heather and Tommy then wrapped up her body in a bedsheet and stuffed her in her own hardshell silver suitcase, snapping her neck in the process. In the end, both Heather and Tommy were found guilty of murder. Heather sentenced to 10 years, granting her leniency because she just had a baby. Tommy was sentenced to 18, granting him leniency because of his apparent remorse. Many people back in the United States who followed the trial expected Heather would suffer greatly, imprisoned in a developing country like Indonesia. Instead, it appeared Heather was having the time of her life. In prison, she was given her own cell phone with internet access, which she used to post videos dancing with other inmates, drinking, partying, smoking, and going to the beach. At the same time, Heather raised her baby Stella in prison for her first two years, granted by Indonesian law. When she turned two, Stella was passed off to be cared for by an Indonesian woman, but Heather was still allowed to see her daughter frequently something that would have never happened if she'd been in an American prison. In 2017, Heather uploaded a somewhat unhinged video online for the first time with a new real motive behind her mother's murder. She said she wanted the truth to set her free, and it all started the day her father died. When I was 10, my mother killed my father in a hotel in Athens, Greece, two weeks before I came to Bali. I found out that she killed my father, and I made it up in my heart, in my mind, my soul, in my blood, in the oxygen running through my body 
that I wanted to kill my mother. First, I asked Tommy Schaefer to help me find somebody to kill my mom for $50,000. And he said, no. After that, I got this whole new savage idea in my head that I wanted to kill her in a hotel room because she had killed my father in a hotel room. We were going to Bali, so I began to plot. I began turning off Tommy's phone, taking Tommy's phone when he was asleep, starting in Chicago, taking Tommy's phone and having conversations between Tommy and myself, texting myself, having fake conversations, and then deleting them before he could see them. Heather said the reason she was deleting text messages was because she knew she'd get arrested and didn't want it to happen in a foreign country where she didn't know anyone. She said when she invited Tommy to join her and her mom on their vacation to Bali, she told Tommy Sheila was okay with it. So I came to Bali and I told Tommy that he was going to come here for a vacation and that she knew about it. In all reality, I stole her credit card and bought him a ticket without her knowing about it. I trapped him here. And that is what I regret. I don't regret killing my mother. And as evil as that may sound, that's my reality. If somebody killed Stella, I wouldn't regret killing them either. But I regret bringing Tommy into it. I regret being selfish. I regret trapping an innocent person into this because it was my battle. It's my mother. It was my father. Heather said she single-handedly killed Sheila herself and forced Tommy to help her with the aftermath. I killed her myself. And then I told Tommy that if he did not help me clean the room and get rid of the body, that I would tell the police that he did it. I would pay money to get him arrested. So he helped me clean it. He ran with me. In the court, the same thing happened. My lawyers and I, because of the fact that if I get money, if, if my article that I was charged with was not that I'm the one who killed her, I'm still entitled to the money, and therefore I can pay the lawyers more. So we told Tommy together, my lawyers and I, that if he didn't take the blame in the court, that he would get the death penalty. So he lied in the court because of me. Heather said she was sorry for dragging Tommy into her battle with Sheila and that he was an innocent man. Tommy's an innocent man. And an even more innocent man is Ryan, Tommy's cousin. I don't even know how he got involved in this or why the FBI involves him because he had absolutely nothing to do with any of it. He's innocent. I don't know if they wanted to sell a better story or what the FBI was on, but Tommy and Ryan are innocent. I'm not. According to Heather, the only thing Tommy was guilty of was helping her hide her mother's body. I involved him and I hurt him and I hurt Stella. And I'm sorry, Tommy Schaefer. I'm sorry. I love you. I really love you and if I could go back, I would do it myself. And I'm sorry that everyone who ever knew you now thinks you're a murderer when you're not. 
I'm sorry you won't be able to get a job. I'm sorry everybody thinks that you're some crazy killer. This is the truth. And whoever is watching this, don't hate Tommy. He's innocent. I'm not. I love you, Tommy. From prison, Tommy told a much different story, none of it flattering toward his now ex-girlfriend. In a letter, he accused Heather of spending money from her mother's trust in prison on drugs and alcohol and becoming intimate with other female inmates while their young daughter sat close by. He referred to Heather as a monster and called on the U.S. government to take Stella away from her and bring her back to the U.S. According to Tommy, Heather had talked about killing her mom for months before the murder because she believed she was withholding her inheritance. He said Heather also believed Sheila forged her dad's signature, changing the beneficiary of his will to herself right before he died. Heather would later claim her hatred towards her mother started on their trip while in Greece when she was just 10 years old. Heather insists her mother was a raging alcoholic and drug addict who often chased her around the house with a knife while intoxicated, assaulting her many times. But out of the 80-plus police visits to the Mac home, not a single one reported Sheila ever putting her hands on her daughter, not even to defend herself. Nor did any police reports document any sort of drinking or drug problem. After spending just seven years in an Indonesian prison, Heather was released on good behavior and was immediately deported back to the U.S. along with her daughter, Stella. On October 29th, 2021, within minutes of landing at Chicago's O'Hare International Airport, Heather was arrested for conspiracy to kill in a foreign country and conspiracy to commit foreign murder of a U.S. national, as well as obstruction. If convicted of the first two charges, Heather could face life sentences. If convicted of the third, she could pay a fine of up to $250,000. But what happened to Heather's daughter, Stella? Since arriving back in the U.S., four relatives have been fighting for custody of her. And in November 2022, Stella was ordered into the temporary care of a maternal cousin of Heather's in Colorado. The third person who would have cared for Stella since arriving to the U.S. For friends, family, and all who knew Sheila, the nightmare continues as they recount the tumultuous relationship she had with her daughter. They can only hope and pray now that this time around, justice for Sheila's brutal murder will finally be served. Heather awaits her trial, set to begin on July 31st, 2023. Follow the Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and all other podcast platforms. 
If you'd like to support this show and get some extra perks, like early release and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. Our website can be found at mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspod. To listen to The Minds of Madness and other Wondery shows ad-free, start your free trial of Wondery Plus at wonderyplus.com slash madness. 